Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Harry Wakes right to the last. And LA. Welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping safe and well out there. Of course, if you're listening to us for the first time and where have you been, we are on iTunes, we're on Audio Boom, we're on Spotify, we're on all major audio applications. You can, of course, find us on Twitter, at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. I've got the absolute pleasure of being joined by Martin Cloak and Cat Law from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust. Martin, let's start with you. How are you, firstly? Not bad, thanks. Thanks for asking us back. And I, uh, I hear it's congratulations that you're three years old. Obviously not you, the show. That would be <laughs> I wish legal. it was three years old, but I could start again. But that's yeah, a pleasure. No, it's well, uh, no, nice to be back. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. It's lovely to have you here recording on our birthday. And um, like I say, you guys, listen, you've been obviously part of the makeup of these shows, helping us, contributing. So it's only right. And I think it's only lovely to have you on at this really special time for us. Kat, lovely to see you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I feel bad that we, A, didn't send you a cake, but I probably feel worse that I'm not myself eating a cake because that <laughs> sounds like a really good excuse. But actually, I've been listening to a lot of your pods um, throughout lockdown and this extended period of pandemic. And you guys are smashing it. So well done. Oh, bless and you. I'm feeling the pressure now. That oh. Now you're what? Were you like number three in the sports podcast or something <laughs> above Peter Kraut? So I've really got to up my game. But well done, guys. Keep oh, up the good work. Bless you, listeners. We, it's we been can a... massively reduce the listening figures to do, yeah. don't worry. I'm <laughs> definitely sure that won't be the case. They're only going to go up. Listen, absolutely lovely to have you both here. Now, of course, for the sake of any of our new listeners that haven't heard you on the show before, are you able to kindly provide a brief overview of exactly what you and Martin do and who exactly you represent? I am. 
and I will try and keep this as brief as possible. Uh, but it is a fairly complex answer. So here goes. So we're a formal, independent, democratic organisation that's run by fans for fans. Um, our main aim is to strengthen the dialogue between Spurs fans and between Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and to ensure that the fan perspective is considered in all decisions that affect fans. And also to ensure that the custodians of our club, i.e. Enoch, have the best interests of the club at heart. So we tend to focus on the areas where we can make a difference. So those direct fan touch points, such as, Matt, say, travel, ticket pricing, accessibility, student policing, catering atmosphere, TV broadcast, kickoff times, all that kind of stuff. So mainly off field. And we focus less on the pitch and the playing side. As, you know, being honest, it's not something that we can really influence. And uh, we're not really experts in that area. There's also a, a, a myriad of opinions about who we should sign and about how we should play and formations and tactics, etc. What we can and what we do do is question the club board on its overall approach to transfers and investment, for example. So it's our job to keep them honest and to push them to always do their best for Spurs. So we as an organisation also advise fans who find themselves in trouble with the police or with the club for, say, behavioural offences. Um, we work with relevant authorities to ensure fair treatment for fans. So we're the officially, officially recognised overarching supporter group of Tottenham. We're also represented on Haringey Safety Advisory Group, the Metropolitan Police's Independent Advisory Group for Football, the Football Supporters Association National Council, as well as being members of Football Supporters Europe. We're a board of 10, 10 elected volunteers, but we're totally accountable to our membership. Anyone can join the trust. We hold elections for our board every year. Any full member can stand for election. We represent our members, of which there were around 22,000 across our various membership strands. So that's life members, full members, concessionary members, and it's free membership if you're under 18 as well, associate members and supporter club members. We take our mandate from our members, but we are in constant touch, as you'd expect, uh, with the whole fan base so we keep abreast of the general mood and the major issues that are going on too. Uh, one last thing to stress, we take no money for our work. Uh, we're not allowed to accept any gifts or any perks under our rules. We're totally self-funding. We operate solely on membership fees and donations. So if you, like myself and Martin, believe that fans deserve a voice in the way that their club is run, then we urge you to join us. You'd be most welcome. And I know that you'll give me a plug at the end. <laughs> we do. I've got about a point. I know Jason is a member and I know he's urging me. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, Jason is a member. Like I say, I will definitely be doing this. Like I say, I've, I've promised Jason, I'm going to promise you guys that. Like I say, by the end of this show goes out tomorrow, I'll be joining you on that membership. I promise you guys. Um, we're going to obviously make sure we get a plug at the end for that. Martin, let's come round to you. It's been a crazy, crazy last six months. We touched base, I think, a week before the lockdown, the last time we spoke to you guys. But um, the coronavirus has impacted people's lives in all different kinds of ways. Are you able to give us any kind of insight into the work you've been doing during lockdown as a trust? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's been about sort of bouncing realities out, really. I mean, people might be thinking, well, there's, there's, there's no football, so uh, you've probably been been doing nothing. And I think we, we were talking earlier this week and that, that we've probably been doing even more since since there was no football to go to. And that, that makes it more difficult because... Uh, I think there's always that 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 uh, that thing of turning uh, what should be like a leisure pursuit and pleasure into work, and now we're doing all the work and we haven't even got any bloody football matches to go and see. Um, 
And I think so. there's been stuff going on, but we've had to sort of balance realities a bit. And that's partly in our own lives, as well as recognizing what else is out there. And, that, you know, people have got more important things to deal with than football at the moment. Uh, and, you know, although football is pretty all consuming for a lot of us. There, there are there are far, far more important things out there. But I think as a lot of businesses find and a lot of people will find with general things that, you know, we're going to come out the other side of this. We don't know when yet and we don't know how. Uh, you know, presumably, you know, there's going to be a vaccine or whatever sometime next year, and we'll get back to some kind of normality as well. And people are going to want things to go back to. So that's why it's important to still be sort of working on some of the issues that we're working on. So, I mean, you know, just a bit of a taste. Obviously, we've been talking to the club and talking to other fan groups and, and various authorities about uh, the potential for getting fans safely back into stadiums. There's a whole discussion going on about that, and we might talk a little bit uh, about that later. How's that going to happen? We've been talking about what happens with tickets. We've obviously been talking to the club about what happened at the end of last season because we closed down before the end of last season. What happens with your tickets there? What happens with the issue of new tickets? How's all that going to work? And as ever with anything to do with ticketing, and, you know, Kat's really the expert here, but it, it is, it's much more complicated than a lot of people give credit for. And one of the things that we have to do is look at the look at the the overall picture of ticketing. And what most people do understandably is that they look at their own situation and they just think, well, you know, it should be like this because that's what would be good for me. And we've got to try and consider, you know, the overall thing. So there's been stuff about ticket arrangements. Obviously, we've been saying to the clubs that, you know, let's talk about trying to get fans safely back into stadiums, but that's not just a case of social distancing inside the stadium. How are they going to get there? How are they going to get out again? What does that mean for transport? What arrangements have you made about that? And, you know, we've got fans who, who really want to get back into the ground, but we've also got people writing to us going, you know, I want to go back, but I, I want to feel safe. And I'm really not sure about getting on the Victoria line or being on the trains or whatever. So we've got to be trying to talk to people about that and making sure, as Kat said earlier, that, that the fan perspective is considered because we're the best one in the world. The football clubs are going to be thinking, how can we get people back into our stadiums? How's our business going to continue? Uh, and we've just got to make sure that, that that kind of fan safety element is considered. And it's trying to balance the kind of, you know, the business element with the, with the public safety and the public health that's probably taken up quite a lot of time. Um, I think a lot of the other work that, that, that Kat mentioned has kind of come to a halt because, that, you know, there aren't any issues with like behaviour or ticketing offences at games or, uh, you know, the way that a particular game is being policed or anything like that. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And obviously the last couple of days, uh, there's, there's been a whole load of stuff. Um, we've also been doing quite a lot of work. And again, it's something that Kat's very involved in at, at national level. And I think we'll probably touch on later. Uh, it is, is, you know, being able to watch the team on TV when we can't get in the stadium. So, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of stuff going on. And as I said, it, it's kind of, it's a bit of extra... It feels like harder work in some respects. I know we're not complaining because we volunteered to put ourselves up for this, but you've you've usually got the reward of being out to go and, and watch the team and you know sort of getting a day out with your mates. And obviously, we're all missing that, you know, massively. It's a tricky time because I think you know, could you imagine fans in that stadium with Spurs have just beat Man United six one at Old Trafford? I mean, it would be just quite incredible, wouldn't it? How good would that have been? Oh. It would have made even that journey back on a Sunday night from Manchester yeah. bearable, wouldn't it? Oh, amazing. And like I say, when you think we've got, you know, the likes of Kane, Son, Bale to play together, you know, the Celso to come in this and Dumbele, it's a very, very exciting time. It feels to be a Spurs fan. We're riding the crest of the wave. Now, of course, guys, as you're probably aware, there are many questions out there that fans would love to know about. And one of those coming up was ensuring refunds were offered for the end of last season. And that was a key talking point. Is there anything you'd like to say on that matter and how that was addressed by the football club? Yeah, sure. I mean, 
it actually wasn't that difficult. Um, if we rewind our minds back, there were five home games that didn't go ahead with fans at the end of last season. They went ahead behind closed doors, obviously. And uh, the club was never going to run off with that money. They're not all bad, despite what Twitter may tell you. Um, but in fairness, they would have preferred to have held on to that money as a deposit for this season. So it was our view to put our role to put the fan view forward. And at that stage, as is true now, uh, a lot were furloughed or an 80% of their salary or had lost their jobs or had little job security and were really struggling. And it just didn't feel right for a billionaire club to hold on to fans' money. It was also an incredibly bad look, a bad optic, as we'd say. So we made all those points and we argued the case for offering the option of a refund as well as the option to leave the money with the club. As it happened, the vast, vast, vast majority, so like 80 plus percent, left their money with the club. But it was always about what was the right thing to do. So we were pleased that they at least offered the option of a refund. Now, could that refund mechanism have been quicker and smoother? Of course it could. But Martin and myself and the other members of the trust board, we can't physically improve the club's ticketing infrastructure. All we can do is feedback fan comments and make suggestions for next time. And that's one of our favourite pastimes, is feeding back on Ticketmaster, is it not, Martin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The glory is. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Kat, also on that point of tickets, just to also bring it on, you know, are you able to give us any kind of background on the club ensuring that only partial payment was taken for this season, how you guys kind of tried to help manage that process? Because I think... People, listen, guys, I know you don't want to blow your own trumpet. I mean, I'm going to say it. The, the work you do behind the scenes very much goes unnoticed. And like you say, this is a voluntary role. You're not paid for the, for the service that you provide. And I thought, again, this kind of opportunity of bringing you on is to, again, raise awareness to that case that for you guys, um, you give up, you know, devoted time with family, friends to, you know, really push a cause that is about trying to make a difference to the Tottenham Hotspur community, to fans across the world, to people in general. You know, if you can be when there's games going on, you're there to try and help people at every single game, at every single match, weekly, you know, monthly, yearly. You guys are always there. I don't want to blow the trumpet too much. I know you don't like me doing this, but um, it's so important, I think, to make the point of just how important you guys are and what you offer. Not many, many clubs have, you know, the sustainability and the approach where they go and talk to you guys as you are always open to. Um, give us some background, Kat, if you can, about how the club did manage that process in terms of the partial payment for this season. Yeah, I will do. And you know what? I, I'm definitely getting you that cake, Ricky. That, that's 100% on its way for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, if you cast your mind back to March, so pre-coronavirus, Tottenham had announced their season ticket package for this season, for 2020-21. And that renewal window was due to open in March. So it's quite unbelievable now. But the board had every intention of ploughing ahead with that renewal window, even though the country was in lockdown. And it was literally an 11th hour reprieve after frantic and emotional pleading from us, which saw that stop. I mean, thank God. And it's unimaginable now. So, uh, yes, that, that was going to go ahead. I think the phrase was God loves a trier, wasn't it, Martin? 
It was, yeah. I mean, it made me laugh on that one as well because some of the stuff, I don't want to focus too much on it, but I, I read sometimes on Twitter that we never disagree with a club. Um, and there were so oh, yeah. many words exchanged over that one, I tell you. Absolutely were. So our position after that was, uh, was always that there should only be a partial payment taken for this coming season. So we roughly agreed on the 20% figure because it was more or less the amount that we've already established over 80% of the fans had already left in their ticket in account since the refund from last season. And it was enough to signify a genuine commitment that you wanted to renew your season ticket, whereas like a 50 quid or something would have been quite easy to default on. Um, but hopefully it wasn't too much to place a massive financial burden on the fan at a difficult time. So we also made sure that they offered uh, payment options, so the finance options, that you could have paid in instalments if you couldn't afford to pay the 20% in one hit. Um, some people have said, why do they need to take any money? Why could they just you know, move ahead and just assume that we were all going to renew next year? The major issue there was obviously we're quite new into our new stadium. And the way that Tottenham um, migrated the fans over from, first of all, White Hart Lane to Wembley and then back again, meant they did it in phasing, if you can remember. And it meant that quite a lot of family units and friends weren't able to sit together because some of them had had a season ticket for a lot longer, so were therefore in a higher phasing. And so there had been quite a clamour for, for people to move seats. Either they were in a seat that was too expensive, they hated the people they were sat with. Actually, it wasn't really about view, but it might have been there were too many stairs and that kind of thing. Or they just wanted to be in a family unit. So several thousand fans had applied to move seats. Without the club knowing which seats are sold, cast iron, guaranteed of season ticket sales, they couldn't move anybody around. So they had to know who was renewing this season in order to be able to fulfil all those seat moves, which makes perfect sense. So that's just a little bit of background as to why they weren't necessarily being greedy, asking for the 20% from us. There were some practical reasons for them needing that too. But let's not lie, taking 20% of the season ticket money was a nice little cash injection at a time they needed it as well. But um, that's kind of where we stood on deposit. That deposit will stay in everyone's ticket in account. If we get back into the stadium this season and we get back up to full capacity, then the club will approach all of us and ask us to pay the remainder of our season ticket so rated down, depending on how many home games there are left, minus the 20% deposit. If we don't get in this season, that 20% rolls over to next year. And so you just owe 80% next season, if that makes sense. So that's season tickets. It's worth saying on that, that the, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that people often sort of say, you know, you're a bit soft uh, in, in your kind of approach to the club. And I think if on the, that kind of original proposal that they've made, we'd gone on and called them all the names under the sun they would have probably gone ahead with it. And often we'll find that, you know, we, we get quite exasperated and I'm sure they get exasperated with us, but we find that if we put forward some suggestions, objections and some alternatives, uh, there is often a chance that we can actually get them to listen to us. And they did do it at that stage as well. I think we had a bit of a tricky thing with the, uh, we actually thought when we discussed it amongst ourselves that they shouldn't have gone ahead uh, with offering the seat moves because there was too much else going on as well. But, there's an interesting one there because we had to take notice of the fact that we knew that a lot of fans have really, really been pushing for that. And to give the club credit, they said, look, people want to do this. Uh, we, we've got to go ahead with it. So that was one of the reasons, as Kat just said, why, why they had to take the deposit. And I know, again, you know, that was controversial. And people said that there's still a few people are saying that I've paid for my season ticket. And nobody at Spurs has paid for their season ticket. And people like to believe that a greediest club. But, you know, you paid a 20% deposit at West Ham. They've all paid up front for their season tickets and they're getting refunded 
game by game within 30 days of the, of the date that that game is played. At Crystal Palace, they've all paid up front for their season tickets and they're getting a refund. At Newcastle, they've all paid up front for their season tickets and they're getting a refund. So, you know, despite, we don't always agree with them, but also the club sometimes gets a kick in and we said to them, you need to think about why you're getting a kick in sometimes, why people believe the worst. But actually there's people doing a lot worse out there. So I think the deal that we've got on season tickets, we've had other fan reps come to us and say, we want some of that. We think our club should have done that as well. So it's kind of recognising when we achieve something and recognising when we don't. But that's the reality of the situation. And hopefully Kat's explanation makes it a little bit clearer about why they did need to take that deposit. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And to kind of get that kind of perspective there, Martin, and like you say, you know, you guys as fan reps, you can recognise when the club are doing good work and you want to highlight that. I think that's so important as well. And I think that's great to hear. Kat, believe in being fair. Exactly. You, you've got to be fair, haven't you? You've got to be fair when it's right to be fair. Kat, on the point of ensuring that a sabbatical for those unable to attend games for medical reasons and the suspensions of season tickets until next season, how accommodating did you find the club when lobbying for this? Yeah, so the deferral for those who were medically vulnerable, key workers, living households with people who were vulnerable, uh, I can't tell you how accommodating they were. It was really pleasing to get positive feedback because people who had to apply for deferment, obviously it's quite an emotional decision. We all care deeply about our club and our season ticket as a season ticket holder. It's a habit, it's a ritual, it's part of you going to those games. So essentially signing it off for a season is a really big decision. So you want somebody who won't ask too many intrusive questions, who will be understanding, and you want a deal that you think is fair and understands you and is compassionate. And we only had, genuinely, I'm not blowing smoke up the club's arse, we only had positive feedback from the people who applied for those deferrals, that they'd been trapped with common sense and with sensitivity, and that's all that we can ask for. Now, as we said, no solution is ever perfect, but we are in massively unprecedented times. So offering that deferral to, as I said, key workers and people who are vulnerable was really important, and as was suspending all ticketing points, because we didn't want a situation where the majority of us might be back in, but they couldn't go back because there wasn't a vaccine. So not only were they being penalised for having underlying health conditions or having a job that put them at more risk or meant that they couldn't expose themselves, you know, they could be falling further and further behind on the ticketing point table as well. And that, that didn't feel right. So I'm, I'm really pleased to report they were super accommodating. I think, again, it's important to kind of get those points highlighted down and kind of getting that across. So that's fantastic. Now, as you guys will need no introduction to this next topic, one of the headlines during the lockdown period was Tottenham Hotspur reversing their decision to use the government's furlough scheme for some non-playing staff due to the coronavirus crisis following criticism from supporters. On the 31st of March, the club announced 550 employees would take a 20% pay cut in an attempt to protect jobs. However, on the 13th of April, a Spurs statement said non-playing staff would receive 100% of their pay for April and May. Only board members would take a salary reduction, which included Spurs chairman Daniel Levy, who earned £7 million last year. Can you explain your work as a trust, along with supporters, to help reverse the furlough decision? I think it's really pivotal and in an odd way, although it's a very kind of negative thing, it's one of the most positive things I think I've been involved with in, in the seven years that I've, I've been like formally involved uh, with, with the trust. Because what, what it showed to me is that people do care about their club more than it just being a business. They care about how it conducts itself. They care about what it stands for and what its values are. 
Uh, and, you know, the, the fan response on that was, was in a way, it's one of the easiest campaigns because there was such opposition for such good reasons. And I, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing that I would like to believe people think, and it fits with, with the way that I see the world. But, you know, often, and I was thinking, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people going, look, they've got to do this. It makes good business sense. The money's available and that's it. Uh, and people would just said, look, this doesn't look right. We don't think it's right. But what is important to, to recognize there again is that, you know, we sort of raised it with the club first of all. But we said, why are you doing this? You need to explain why you're doing this. And what we didn't want to do is just go straight in and go, don't do this. This is rubbish. Because if people's jobs are at stake, it would be completely irresponsible of us. We're not a staff union. We don't represent the staff. We can't speak for them at all. To go in and say to the club, no, don't do that. And then the club would have turned around and gone, okay, we're going to have to lay a load of people off. right? And that would have been partly down to us as well. Now, there's arguments about whether they would have had to do that. So we thought the right thing to do is to say to the club, this really doesn't look good. And we, we're not, we don't really agree with this. But you've got to explain if there's a good reason why, why you're doing this. And as usual, the club just kind of went ahead with their, well, we're doing it. And, you know, because we've got the best interest of the clubs at heart or whatever. And it became clear after not very long, as you say, every tweet was hashtag pay the staff. Uh, and so what we then did, we put a couple of statements out, one asking him to explain. And then what we did is we said, well, we've still got no explanation. We think that there are alternatives and these are the alternatives. And I think after this whole episode, we were really pleased. And I, I will blow on trumpet on this. There was a, one of the BBC kind of magazine programs that was on on a Saturday morning said that they kind of selected us as our kind of player of the week. And they said that the way that we'd put forward the argument rather than kind of going and just like, you know, throwing stones through the window or whatever, we'd actually helped to make it impossible for the club to go ahead. And, and again, you know, and again, let's remember that apparently we're an organization that always agrees with everything the club does and never opposes them, right? I don't think they were very happy uh, on this. And it is very rare that on an issue, certainly financial and that high profile, that this club ever reverses a decision. Uh, now, you know, whether, whether they still think that they were right to do that or not is, is a, something that's up for debate. But the fact is that they listened uh, and they reversed the decision and they kept their staff on board. Uh, and that's what people wanted their football club to do. So for me, it was something that, you know, it wasn't just a demonstration of fan power and the fact that you can mobilise and you can make a difference, but people wanted something done for the right reason. And this football club means more to people, uh, you know, than just winning games of football, although that's important. And it, is, it means more than them to them than it just being a sustainable business, which is obviously important because we don't want our club to go out of business and football clubs do go out of business and that's it. But it's also important to people what their club stands for and how it conducts itself. So I, I just thought that that was really encouraging. And I think that credit to the club for taking on board the, the, the view and reversing the decision. And we've not got in a situation which certain other clubs have got into where they're getting absolutely hammered for you know, for laying off their staff, because, you know, the fact is, whether it's true or not, people think that all football clubs, certainly at the elite level, are, uh, are absolutely rolling in money. Um, uh, and so, again, they've got to consider that. And we said to them, you need to listen what's out there. I think what's being shown at the moment is that football is not particularly good at listening. You know, it's a little bit tone deaf <laughs> to, to what's going on outside the bubble of the Premier League. The Gunner Thoughtless News last week, we did check in with the executive board at Tottenham just to make sure we didn't have to be worried about Chirpy and Lily because we were obviously <laughs> going to have to be their, their union reps if there was a problem. And we were assured that they had signed some new long-term contracts. 
So nobody needs to worry about Jeremy Lilly. That is an absolutely true story, by the way. So and we've got another transfer <laughs> exclusive on here that we're delighted to announce that Chirpy yeah. and Lilly have signed new long-term contracts. Yeah. You've you have it. announced Chirpy and Lily, mate. That's it. Brilliant. Yeah. So we've got eight summer go. signings. Here we go. Here we go. Eight summer signings on the last. There you go. An exclusive there from Martin and Cat. Yeah. We've got the mascots <laughs> over the line. Let's try and take in that headline breaking news of those two new signings. We're going to go for a very quick break. When we return, lots to talk about with Cat and Martin. We are discussing. The women's game, how that is evolving under the THSC Trust. We are discussing also Spurs' summer transfer window. What does Martin and Cat constitute success for Tottenham this season? And what can be achieved under Jose Mourinho? Don't go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organisations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organisations not only to make the correct hiring decisions but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51 powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. Thank you ever so much for listening to us. Of course, international break. The football doesn't stop here. The coverage doesn't stop here. We've got the wonderful Cat and Martin from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust taking the time out of their very busy lives to provide us an update of exactly what is going on in the Tottenham Hotspur Trust at the moment and everything Tottenham related. Now, this next subject, very, very close to our hearts. We had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Charlie Edinburgh, the son of the late Justin Edinburgh, who unfortunately lost his life in real, real sad and tragic circumstances, and the real awareness for that JEE Free Foundation now that is really, real gaining some traction at last. Martin, the THSD Trust raised 10,000 for the JEE Free Foundation with LOFT. How close to your heart is the JEE Free Foundation? And do you also see the club continue to spread the awareness for the charity in the future too? It was a bit of a joint effort, really, that thing. I mean, I think it came at that, you know, we've got a very good relationship with the Leighton Orient Fans Trust. And people might remember a few years back when when the Leighton Orient were, were on the verge of going out of business. Um, we helped and, and actually the club itself was, was, was pretty good uh, at helping to organise a collection outside uh, White Hot Lane, as it was at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, for fans to basically save their club and the, the fans have saved that club. Uh, so there's obviously a bit of a connection there. I think there's a connection that goes back years, really, between Leighton Orient and Spurs anyway, that a lot of fans have kind of, you know, sort of been baby down to Leighton Orient and Spurs are away and, you know, similar areas of London. So uh, when the Carabao Cup draw was made and we got Leighton Orient, obviously we always take every chance to call that the real North London derby because it winds the Gooners up because obviously that was the original North London derby. Um, but, you know, that Justin Edinburgh's death, you know, it, it, it did hit everybody so hard and he'd done so much for that club and he'd done so much, you know, for uh, at Spurs as well. And I mean, you know, those people that are over in Madrid, you know, remember he was in on the stage in the fan park when he dancing, you know, with some of his kind of former teammates, you know, just before the final as well. So he still had Spurs there, very dedicated to, to Leighton Orient. So when that draw came up, we thought, well, we've got, the real North London derby. We knew that the Edinburgh family had launched a, a foundation uh, and they'd launched an appeal to set up a charity, which is supposed to be spreading the word for um, defibrillators to be uh, on hand and, and people to be trained to use them uh, at kind of sporting venues and, and kind of event venues as well. 
and we thought we've got a chance to to maybe get them over the line. That they were trying to raise seventy thousand pounds, I think it was, wasn't it? Seventy five thousand pounds. Yeah. Uh, and they were on seventy thousand. Yeah, and they were on sixty two thousand. And we thought, well, this is a great opportunity. We can say to people, you might have spent a few quid on a ticket and a few beers at the game. Why don't you give that to uh, the charity? We got in touch with the fan trust at Leighton Orient. Uh, and said, let's do a joint campaign here so that we show the fans getting together. And it's only right. Obviously, it's something that, that, that they've led. Uh, so we started pumping that out on social media between the two fan organisations. We then approached the club and we said, look, is there anything that you can do as well? Uh, and the club came back and said that they would publicise it. And then they also came up themselves with the offer to auction off the, uh, the match-worn shirts as well, um, which, which was absolutely fantastic. And that kept it going. Uh, we were getting in touch with various kind of media contacts that we've got, see if we could get Charlie interviewed and get the profile of the campaign, you know, maybe in some of the coverage of the game as well. And I think within two and a half days, we'd smashed the £70,000 um, barrier. We'd raised, uh, the, you know, the joint campaign offered, effort had raised over £10,000. And of course, we had the, um, the match-worn shirts to come as well, which would have been brilliant. And it kind of just generally raised awareness. And obviously, when the game was called off, you know, we thought, well, what happens next? And I think the club said then what they've now subsequently done is they're auctioning off the, the match-worn shirts from the next round game against Chelsea. Um, and that's going to go uh, towards the fund. So all the shirts are being, being auctioned off. And I think Kat did ask whether Eric Dyer's shorts were going to be auctioned off from that game as well. In whatever state did. they might have been in and whether that would be a, a, like a premium <laughs> item or not. And I'm not quite sure what's happening with that. But I mean, it, it was it's, it's one of those things that it was one of the easiest things to do, you know, around something that was very sad, but that the Edinburgh family and the charity are incredibly grateful that they've now got the money to set that campaign up. They've got a lot more awareness. Um, I think the last I saw from the shirt auctions, there was about another £20,000 uh, that had been in, been raised in bidding uh, for those as well. So that, that gives them a good start. And then, you know, anything that we can do on that front, you know, we're always willing to do that. But again, it was the generosity of, of, of the supporters out there. And again, it was a supporter initiative uh, to come up with, buy buy some kids kit from the Leighton Orient. You know, when the game was called off, obviously Leighton Orient lost a, a really significant amount of money for a club of that size because they didn't get the TV fee or whatever. Uh, and it was, again, it was a, it was a, a spontaneous thing that really started on social media where people started uh, buying junior kits so that Leighton Orient got the money from the kits and then the kits would be donated to uh, the local children's hospice at Leighton Orient and Harry Kane as part of his sponsorship campaign uh, of, of that club uh, are supporting as well. And, and again, within a couple of days, the Leighton Orient shop completely sold out uh, of kids' kits. And I mean, they, they were absolutely bowled over by the response as well. So it's kind of cemented the bond uh, between the two teams. I mean, I think everyone wants a game to go ahead because they, they really want a chance to sit like and knock us out. And, you know, things should be settled on the pitch. But, you know, it was a bad set of circumstances around that game. I and mean, it's obviously tra absolutely tragic what happened to Justin. But, you know, some good things have come out of that. And it's, again, it's what we like to see, really, you know, that, that it's, the, it's the good side of people coming out. So just a really good story. Yeah, I've got to agree that it's, it's so lovely to see two clubs come together. You know, I think we've always had a great relationship with Leighton Orient fans. And I think it's one of those things where it's actually a genuine shame that we didn't have the opportunity to play against each other. It is a real, real shame. But um, that charity and um, the Justin Emmerich Free Foundation, I say we want to highlight that as well as much. We had the pleasure of interviewing Charlie in the summer. We'll definitely try and get him back on the show as well to spread awareness of that campaign. Kat, coming round to you, 
Another big talking point at the moment, TV headlines, TV coverage, of course, is games being played behind closed doors, number one, to limited capacity. And then two, um, now this kind of pay-per-view game situation where the 1495 figure is being banded around. I mean, tell us your thoughts, Kat Gemini, in terms of how you see this currently progressing for the rest of the season in terms of the TV coverage. And now this figure just thrown into the spanner a bit. What, what do you make of it all? Oh, good grief. So um, I personally have worked on broadcast for the Football Supporters Association and for the Spurs Trust for quite a few years now, four or five years. Um, we, the Spurs Trust, played a really active part in a recent campaign that was called Hashtag Let Us Watch. So that included lobbying the Premier League and the broadcasters to make every behind-closed-door game available to watch on telly or via a legal stream. We're very aware you could watch them illegally, but bear with me, this was about legal watching. Uh, we ended up having to get the MPs and the government involved uh, as the Premier League and the clubs had genuinely no intention of making those games available for broadcast, which is quite staggering. Uh, as you've referenced, you've obviously heard about the Premier League announcement on Friday afternoon, uh, that the games that were not selected for TV coverage will now be streamed by a BT Sport or Sky Sports box office uh, a cost of £14.95 per game. I think it's fair to say this has provoked an angry response from fans already. Uh, you know, they're already paying multiple TV subscriptions. They see it as pure greed from the Premier League. I don't think I'm over-egging it there. So we issued a statement on Friday afternoon explaining our position, and your listeners are more than welcome to go onto our website which is www.thstofficial.com, and have a read of that. It's a media. Um, most of the anger at the moment seems to be about around the price point, which, in our opinion, is excessive. Um, it's fair to say they didn't consult with us on price sensitivity. If they had have done, we'd have told them it was excessive. It's also about the number of subscriptions that we now need uh, and the combined cost. So, you know, we've got BT Sport, Sky Sport, we have Premier Sport, we've got Amazon Prime, now there's the box office stuff as well. I mean, it, it, it's adding up, basically. Um, how the £14.95 price point will inevitably force fans to get together around each other's houses or watch it in pubs. And that's really against the whole spirit of how we're meant to behave in the pandemic as well. Of course, it's going to encourage illegal streaming, so hence taking money out of the game. So, look, the reality is there was always going to be a charge for this. The Premier League is, is losing money in this pandemic, and it wasn't going to carry on giving away its product for free. I think people who expected it for nothing were being slightly idealistic here. It wasn't going to give away its product for free for over a year. But it, it isn't a good look to be asking for £14 per game after a transfer window when millions of pounds have been spent. So we're asking the Premier League to reconsider the price and the package. Could this be part of existing subscriptions to BT Sport and Sky Sport subscribers? Could there be a discount for season ticket holders and members? Where's that money going? How did they get to that price point? What's the lowest feasible price they could get? I think both Martin and I are just pretty frustrated that we spend, we spent a lot of time now relationship building with the executives at the Premier League. They know us, they've got our phone numbers. We sit in meetings with them. And in all of these meetings, we say, look, we're here, guys. You need to bounce something off for a fan perspective where your consumers, where your, you know, your end users, where your ideal focus group here, just pick up the bloody phone or Zoom us. We're here to give you opinion. We will give you feedback. We speak to you 
all of you guys and our fan base and our members and we're on social media and we've got a pretty good read of the dial time and time again they don't they don't take advantage of that whatsoever they're not interested they're not interested in consultation they're not interested in opinion and this is what happens it ends up slapping them on the arse so yes tomorrow morning the gloves are off and we will be absolutely um bashing down the podium in the to get this sorted because it's it, outrageous uh, the only good news is as far as i can tell this is a rolling agreement so they're not going to commit to do this for the whole of the season because once fans can get back in they'll probably pull the whole thing anyway which is a whole different argument um so as far as i know this is only going for october and november but yeah. you know I mean, we just won't jump in just just yeah, a couple please. of points there as well i mean it's the kind of referred to it it's the detachment that 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 just amazes you sometimes. And I mean, Kat, Kat, you know, you were in the meeting, weren't you, with the with the the, the FSA and yes. the, 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 a delegation of the national fan reps went into with with Richard Masters uh, and Bill Bush from the executive board of the of, of the Premier League, so the senior officials. And the, the, you know, we, we, we as a trust, we'd really pushed this campaign. We'd said to the the Football Supporters Association, we need to be pushing for fans to be able to watch their team. Uh, while they're not allowed into the stadium. Now, to us, that seemed pretty basic. And that campaign was taken up pretty quickly by other fan groups and by the FSA. And we went in and we pushed that. Uh, uh, and Cat pushed that really strongly at that meeting with the Premier League. And they were genuinely amazed that a bunch of football fans wanted to see some football matches that their team were playing in, which they were unable to get into. They were genuinely amazed. So it's just like, what planet are you living on, Right. They've been apparently, and it's a phrase we're getting used to seeing, I think Seb Stafford-Bloor tweeted about it on, on Twitter today as well, he said that I keep seeing this phrase, um, surprised by the ferocity of the response. And it's like, well, and, and they are surprised by the ferocity of the response to the 1495. Well, it's like, if you'd have bloody asked us, you wouldn't have been that surprised because we could have told you that it, that it would be that fierce. So there's that side of it. The other thing which I've got to say is that, that and I'm going to address a bit of criticism head on now, that again, uh, and you kind of end up banging your head off the table. When when we it was a big victory that we got the clubs to concede and the Premier League to concede that that fans could watch their team play uh, if they couldn't get into the stadium. And that got announced. And there was one fellow on on Twitter who sort of started kicking us a bit about it and said like it's just another typical example of you only doing things that benefit you. And it's only about the season ticket holders. And it's like, and, and contrary to popular belief, we, we had the discussion and didn't block him, although apparently we block everybody who we disagree with as well. But it's like, mate, literally, right, every single fan, whether they were season ticket holder, non-season ticket holder, casual fan, whatever fan at all, for the first time ever, can now see every single game that their team plays on TV. And you couldn't before. So that's something that is new that has been secured for everybody. But apparently it's just for a small group of people and we're only interested in ourselves. So you just think there there is no way of explaining that ever then, mate, literally everybody can now watch that. Everybody can now see the Have a day off. But this this is Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the frustration is it's not about, you know, people can, can call us whatever names they want or whatever. We, you have to learn to deal with that as well. But what it does is that it undermines people's confidence that fans can achieve change. Yeah. You know, we, we, we achieve something there by putting a case forward and by lobbying and by leaning and, and pushing and doing whatever we needed to do to the Premier League and to the clubs. Uh, and we, we, we forced a position that wasn't on offer. 
in the first place. And we can do that again. But the more people keep undermining that and saying, oh, you know, it would have happened anyway, or it's all rubbish, or it's only self-interest, you know, that 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 demoralizes people. And we actually need confidence that we can achieve a bit of change. Yeah. So that is a bit of a soapbox rant for me, but it's important to make the point, I think. It's unlike you, Martin, to be honest. I, I know, I'm usually much more measured than this, aren't I? But, you know. <laughs> Exactly. But no, so we just need to get an awful lot more detail of the existing dean as well. We literally have no heads up. In fact, uh, Alistair Gold DM'd me. That's how I heard about it. So as the lead worker of the Football Sports Association broadcast field and somebody who's in meetings with Richard Masters and Bill Bush at the Premier League, Alistair Gold DM'd me. That's how I heard about this. That tells you everything that you need to know. So we, we need to understand the mechanics of how that broadcast will actually work. So do you need to have a subscription to Sky and BT Sport? Does box office actually work on a telly or is it just on a device? There's like so much stuff that we don't, that nobody, the clubs can't answer it because they're not the broadcasters. The broadcasters aren't saying anything. So the whole thing's just a farce again. And I've, I've seen quite a lot of people say, yeah, but 14.95 is still cheaper than going to a game. Yes, of course it is. But sitting at my kitchen table and watching it on my laptop, is, there's no comparison going to a game it is a vastly inferior product and also if i was at a game would it wouldn't be in the middle of a global pandemic well i've been on 80 percent salary for the past seven months like, people don't have their job security do you know what i mean it's like yeah. guys you can't compare it with that we're in an incomparable situation so all i can do is give your listeners my word that i'm fuming and will definitely be uh kicking ass on this one and trying to get us a much better deal for those uh, pay-per-view streams there you go that's my promise Kat, I know we've got so much to discuss. Just out of interest, how, how do you see this playing out? Do you see there being any kind of compromise on the Premier League before we move it on? What, what do you? What's gut feeling? What do you guys think? Do you think there'll be any compromise at all? I would love to say that the backlash and the bad PR, mm. and, and we have not got anywhere near enough time to go into this, but yep. your listeners who have been on uh, online today may well have seen um, a report uh, this is called Project Big Picture. <laughs> so it's really not been a great couple of days for the Premier League and Premier League clubs and what looks like the greedy elite. Uh, and I think uh, there may well be um, enough pressure because the optic looks so bad that they'll reconsider that. But I think look, we need to know where the money's going as well. Some people are reporting the money's actually going to the club, in which case I think fans might find it slightly more palatable. Um, or it's going down a pyramid, in which case they probably would find it more palatable. But if it goes to the broadcasters, then no. Obviously, the, the, the biggest thing would be if people didn't use the stream. That is, if nobody bought it, they'd absolutely have to rethink it. So getting those figures will be really interesting. But we're obviously going to try and get to a situation where that doesn't happen. But with the best will in the world, we haven't got much time on that. Yeah, I mean, it's I think, I think the time when people... Because they can always come back and say people paid the money and uh, the, the time is going to come soon. It's always really difficult calling a boycott and it's always difficult in this case because you can't see the numbers finding out whether it's worked. But, you know, as an indication of how bad the situation is uh, and where I, I think possibly, maybe naively, optimistically, we might get some positive change. That Kat again mentions that, you know, a few things have come out which have made the Premier League look bad. The, the Premier League have got it so wrong on a number of things over the past week, which I've got it, that the government issued a statement tonight, which I completely agreed with. Let's move it on. Kat, let's come back round to you because we know that the THST Trust have been working ever so hard to help create an independent fan organisation for the women's game. 
Now, we've had Anna from Spurs It's Why very kindly on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that. We've deliberately now put a ploy now to kind of get the women's game recognised, mentioned mm. on our show week in, week out. Anna very kindly has actually done a segment for us tonight you're going to hear very, very shortly on. So oh, we're, cool. we're, as a podcast, we're making sure the women's game is you know very much out there and very much publicised. Now, obviously, we had the wonderful signing of Alex Morgan in the summer as well. How much, Kat, is awareness now being driven to the women's game and... Give us some insight into that from your perspective. Yeah, I know. I, I think it is. And I um, was a fan rep on FA Council for the season that we actually personally handily. And, and the, the women's game is one of the FA's key you know, objectives. It's one of their um, key um, points to push. It was what was over five years. So doubling participation, doubling attendances, all that kind of stuff. So there is a, there's a will behind it now to really push that further and I think that we're seeing some fruits of that now but from a, a fan point of view we at the Trust have been considering how much or how little we should get involved with the women's game as an organisation for quite a while now and things are moving on at national level um, with obviously Spurs women now in the Women's Super League and it seemed the right time for us to tackle that question head on. The, the, the women's game itself is a, I think is at a vital point in this development there's still a chance for fans to help shape that, you know, the future of the game. So, for example, the broadcast deals aren't yet set in stone and the rules of the game are still quite malleable. So there's a real chance for an organised, well-informed fan group to get involved far further upstream than we were ever able to in the men's game. So when myself and Martin got involved at the Spurs Trust, you know, the, uh, the Premier League was already established. The rules were already in place. The broadcast deals had already been signed. And so you're constantly pushing, you know, trying to push water uphill, basically. You're, it's very difficult to have an influence that far upstream when things are so far set in stone. So to really be part of the conversation um, and also to help with strategic planning. So the Football Supporters Association are actually forming a network of fan groups for the women's game now. We don't have one at Tottenham that meets the affiliate criteria uh, for a women's fan group at the FSA. At the Trust, we didn't just want to co-opt a women's representative onto our board. It's a totally different setup. It's almost like another club. And it deserves fan reps who are totally passionate about the women's game. Not just an add-on, but what is essentially a trust for the men's game. So it's really important that I'm clear that this isn't a move-in or an encroachment by the Spurs Trust. We fully respect that the women's game is its own living, breathing you know, entity and that the fans of the women's game are not just people who like the men's game and tack it onto them. So that's really important to say that as well. So two of our board, which is myself and our secretary, Pete Haynes, we got together uh, with a lady called Chris Powell, who is co-chair of the Pride Lily White. Chris sits on the FSA National Council with me and she actually sits on the FSA board as well. So um, I work with Chris and she's a, a very effective and experienced operator. So myself, Pete and Chris, two other members of the Proud Early Whites Committee and then the founder members of the Tottenham Women's Supporters Club, we formed what we're calling a steering committee. So we're basically a working group who are currently exploring constitutional options for a new organisation. So this is where your listeners come in. We're appealing to anyone who's really passionate about the women's game to get in touch with us now because we need those people to be involved in establishing a new independent democratic fan organisation for the women's game. So I'm involved because I'm one of the most experienced fan reps on the circuit now. I've been doing this for quite a while. 
my time on FA Council and on FSA National Council, I know my way around the men's game. So I can help the women's game avoid the same pitfalls. I can tell them what to look out for. So I'm basically giving them a bit of counsel. Um, it's not something that I'll be involved with long term because I'm already on one organisation. It wouldn't be right. So I, I don't believe that Cat has a monopoly to sit on every single committee. Yeah, I don't have the time. But I'm, I'm more than happy to help establish this. So if anybody's listening and they think, you know what? I think I could make a difference here. I think I would like to have discussions with the club about merchandising, about infrastructure, about investment, about, you know, um, grounds, like the contract with the Hive will be running out the season after next and, and all that kind of stuff and really get involved in a fan rep and put in a fan perspective for the women's game, then please do let us know. Cat, that email just again, do you just want to give that out? The opportunity? Yeah, it, info, so I-N-F-O, info at thstofficial.com and I'll, I'll pick it up on Martin and pick it up. Um, and we'd just love to hear. It's honestly, it's, it's really rewarding. If you, if you really love something and you think you can make a difference and you think you can help people and you've got a little bit of spare time, it is hugely rewarding. And for all the shit that we get, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. So honestly, don't, always, you've always got something to offer. So if you're interested, just get in touch and we'd love to hear from you. There you go, guys. Thank you. Can I get in touch? That'd be amazing. Right, Martin, coming back round to you, with regards to the coronavirus and the crisis really facing football, the financial implications, the rescue packages, the sustainability, is it difficult at this moment in time, as you know, we're recording, just to make very clear here, we're recording in the UK. So different parts of the world, coronavirus is it's, it's at different scales in terms of the levels affecting people. Is it difficult to try and put across, Martin, what the future holds in regards to those kind of topics as things stand at this present moment in time? It is, and I'll probably break the habit of a lifetime by giving you a relatively short answer. Uh, you know, like, like every other business, uh, fo fo football's getting hit, or uh, all sport is getting hit. Um, and I think people are possibly as worried about the economic effects of this whole thing as, as about the health effects, really, of something, you know, that it's a, it's a virus that kills people. So let's get things in in perspective but it makes people very ill and helps the most important thing but you know people need jobs and they need work in economies and they need the things that they value to survive um you, you, the truth is that there's a very real chance that a lot of football clubs aren't going to survive and that the game is not going to survive in the form that we know it at the other side of this because you know it's it's a it's a sport that its business model it is based largely at, and at different levels at the different stages of, of the pyramid uh, on getting customers into into uh, you know confined spaces and then paying money and that's something that we can't do at the moment so if your business is based on that and you can't do it then you've got a real problem I think the problem that football's got especially is that it doesn't help itself by boasting about how well off it is and how successful it is a lot of the time and that's partly the nature of competition that you've got to show that you're stronger than other people but you can't on the one hand be talking about a billion here and a billion there and then saying actually we need some help from the government uh, that doesn't go down particularly well. Um, unfortunately, uh, football has always been an easy thing for politicians to kick, uh, as they tried to do at the start of the pandemic, and then they got shown up by people like Marcus Rashford and other footballers who, who launched that great initiative uh, about, about feeding kids who haven't got any food. It's a pretty basic thing as well. Um, but football makes it easy for, for, for politicians to kick it as well. Um, and so at a time when and it does need help and, you know, people have probably gathered that I'm probably more in favour of the state getting involved in certain things than, than maybe other people would be. But I think the state has a role here. Um, I think that's a real problem because 
not many politicians are going to see many votes in saying actually what we should do is give a load of money to to football clubs that people think are really well off so there's an issue there but we we do need to think about the health of the whole game and i think one of the problems for for the supporter movement again is that people go well it's all very well but really what i'm interested in i want spurs to be successful and so do i but i want spurs to be successful uh in in an environment that means something and if, if we're the last man standing, yeah. it doesn't really matter. You yeah. know, we, yeah, we'll win everything, but there's no opposition. So it doesn't mean anything. And <laughs> We might have a chance in Martin, though. It's not just romanticism, but like the, the, the entire pyramid, football yeah. pyramid, being being healthy is really important for, yeah. for the game to continue meaning what it means at the moment. Because otherwise, you know, we might be stuck with it, you know. But, well, but you know, if you're kind of like, you know, 10 or 14 or whatever now, then in 20 or 30 years' time, are you still going to be keen on something that's not really much of a competition and there's not really much of it about and it's just about who's got the most money it's not going to be the same kind of thing so there's a danger of the product killing itself at the moment so you know and that's been raised by by the issue that we've got so i don't know how it's going to come out because a lot of people are trying to use it for their own advantage and they're not taking the clever view which is that you know if one of us falls then then most of us fall really and those that are left what we're going to be left with is it going to be worth it so that's a bit depressing but that's the that's the reality of the situation. But you know, there's a chance to be smarter about it and to to make things better. So let's try and do that. Yeah. Talking about the impact of coronavirus, only right to ask you in terms of the, the club, how it's affected them in terms of the CCFF events venue. Do you have any knowledge at all about how the club is coping? I mean, of course, you know what was very publicised during the lockdown period was Spurs taking a one seven five million bank loan of England to ease the coronavirus impact. Have you guys got any kind of insight into how the club's coping at the moment with the whole coronavirus? Yeah, we did. I mean, again, people can look back on uh, on, our, on our website. We issue a regular newsletter, and one of the guys on, on our board, a guy called Michael Green, actually works in uh, investment banking, and his speciality is that he, he sets up kind of um, construction projects, basically. So, you know, people are building oil pipelines across the Ukraine, then... Mike in, in his firm is going to be involved with putting a deal together. So we usually kind of get him to look at some stuff and, and a lot of the financial stuff, uh, we, we'll try and put some kind of analysis on our website. So because we think that fans have got a right to understand that. Problem is the club doesn't give much more away than it, it feels that it has to. Um, that, that particular loan, and again, it kind of goes down, you know, to the layperson, it's like the club's taking some money off the government. And I go back to what we said about the furlough scheme. We didn't necessarily think that using furlough was wrong. Because what the furlough scheme was there for was to help businesses get through an unprecedented economic challenge. What the club's done with that £175 million loan, it's basically it's a loan that's underwritten by the government. And to get a bit boringly financial, people that, that kind of know about this stuff, but maybe people that don't will, will, will learn a bit on it. It's just that the governments can borrow money more cheaply than anyone else because the government isn't going to do a runner. In, in in really really basic terms you know it's like you know you know where it lives because <laughs> it because it's there uh and that's it so the, the club was able to get that loan because it's really well run economically uh so in a way that that's a kind of credit for the club and what it was it was to help it get through a period where even a club that is one of the richest in the world is going to be hit especially if a large part of its business model depends on a massive billion pound stadium getting people in and spending money in there as well so, uh, you know, it was it was sensible thinking from a business point of view for the club to get a loan that was available to it because it was well run, that, that it was able to get at a cheaper level than it would have done if it had kind of gone to to another investor, if you like, for any money. 
Um, so people then say, does that mean the club's got a cash flow problem? Y yes, it undoubtedly has, because if you look at what, you know, there's no, there's no money coming through the gate, right? The TV money's still there, but there's issues about that and rebates, but that's it. So every club is going to have a cash flow problem. How much of it, we don't know, because the club's not giving that away and they're not obliged to give that away as well. Um, but there, was, there are conditions attached to that loan. So it's not free money from the taxpayer. We're not freeloading. We're able to do that because we're a well-run business or the club is a well-run business. And it's accessing that scheme um, because it's protecting the short-term future of the club. And I think most people would say that's a sensible move. And certainly fans of clubs that have gone out of business <laughs> would say that's a sensible move as well. So, you know, we could almost say if they hadn't applied for that, as a trust, we might have gone to them and said, you're being a bit negligent because you, you, you could get hold of something which could help secure our future as a club. And you're not applying for that. Why are you not doing that? Uh, you know, which is which is an angle that, uh, that, that, that people don't often think about. So generally, it's a good thing. It doesn't mean we're massively in trouble, but it means that we, we are we, we've been challenged and we're meeting that. We, we'd have liked a lot more information on how the club is going to use that money because then we could have made a more informed judgment. And we've always said, if we think they've done the right thing, we will say that. And if we think they've done the wrong thing, we'll also say that as well. The club, for its own reasons, has decided not to provide that information, which isn't a great surprise because they don't really give very much away, certainly financially, um, unless they really have to. So, you know, we can't really comment on whether accessing that scheme is more or less appropriate. And again, if they'd have shared a bit more with us, we could possibly, if we'd have thought they did the right thing, we would have gone out and said, we'll help to get you some good publicity. You've done the right thing. But, you know, it seems what we know, it's, it, it was the right thing to do. I think there were caveats attached, though, aren't there, Martin? Like, for example, we couldn't use it in the trans for transfers. We couldn't yeah, yeah. use it on player recruitment yeah. and yeah. wages and, again, and things like that. So, there, yeah, there were caveats. I mean, part of the problem with a lot of waste stuff is reported in, and, you know, I'm going to get hammered now by a load of football journalists, but but a lot of football journalists with the best really in the world know a lot about football, but they don't really know a lot about finance. And so it's kind of being reported as that, you know, they've got 175 million quid, which means they can go out and get a defender or something like that. As Kat said, there, there, are, there are caveats attached to it as well. I mean, what's interesting is that, that you, know, uh, you know, Spurs have been foremost among this. Spurs' board have been foremost among this. But a lot of people at the top of football have constantly argued that, you know, the free market is the king and football should be left to the free market. But now suddenly uh, we, we're all looking to the government to give us a little bit of money to help out. So we seem to have kind of got rid of that that idea that it's just down to the free market. I'm getting a bit political there, so. Thank you ever so much for answering that question. We are going to go for our final break of the show. Taking you into this break is Anna from Spurs XY, who's giving you the lowdown as to Spurs' women's performances over his last couple of games. Do not go anywhere. We're back after our final break of the show. Hello everyone, I'm Anna from Spurs XY and welcome back to the Spurs Women segment here on The Last Word on Spurs. Now this week I get to give you a report of two games. We had a midweek game against the London City Lionesses in the Continental Tires Cup and we played on Saturday against Manchester United women in the Barclays FAWSL. Now, midweek was very good. We won 4-0 with goals from Percival, Alana Kennedy, Rosella Ayan and Angela Addison. Unfortunately, the game was not televised, but highlights are available on YouTube, I believe. So feel free to check them out. Apparently, it was a pretty decent game, pretty straightforward. All was well there. Going into the United game, which was actually televised on BT Sports, so that was rather nice. I was feeling... I had mixed feelings because... Last season, we lost 3-0. Uh, I think both of our fixtures were 3-0 against them. So it's not been too good. Um, they are a strong side. They have a lot of decent players. And uh, our recent record has shown that we play all right against um, 
top tough top teams but if we concede or when we concede then we crumble and we give up our play and a little bit of that happened here and a little bit of it didn't happen here so the first half was actually really good um in fact the whole game I mean Becky Spencer made, had to make three brilliant saves and they kept us in the game but overall I thought in the first half we looked sharp we looked good we had some good movement had some chances we just didn't take them you know we we kept um kept them at bay and we did what we could do. So going into the break, nil-nil was positive. I thought it was a fair reflection of the game. I thought, as I said, overall, it's what we deserved. And going into the second half, much the same, really. And then a very silly goal was conceded. I mean, it was just a, a header that was lobbed over the keeper. And I was just a bit disappointed that considering we saved some fantastic shots and strikes, that that one went into the back of the net. But alas, it did. It was a bit scrappy, but... To be fair, the game itself felt a bit scrappy and um, the game ended 1-0. So there's a positive there in the fact that once we conceded, we didn't fully crumble. However, I was a bit disheartened because we did play so well and I thought we could have got something out of this game. I think the overall attitude I've noticed with these big games like against City and Chelsea and Arsenal is that we set up to not let them score or to try and stop them scoring rather than us playing our play our way and not focusing too much on the opponent. Now, don't get me wrong. You obviously have to bear in mind who you're playing against. Like, we couldn't play the same way as we did against London City Lionesses, for example. But I do think that we should have more confidence in our own abilities. And what I'm seeing is that we're more scared of conceding than actually just playing our style of football perhaps I'm wrong but that's the feeling I'm getting and also just I'm a bit confused about the substitutes we actually brought we made subs after the goal but then we made a triple substitution in the 89th minute now there were six minutes of extra time which granted gives those players seven minutes to play but I mean that's a bit late so it's a bit it's a bit of a mixed bag right now so I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Morgan hasn't featured, but I know everyone keeps banging on about it. But if you bear in mind, she gave birth not too long ago. I mean, the fact that she's training and, and in contention and stuff, and she's obviously moved to a different country and all that. So, well, different continent even. So, you know, I haven't seen her yet, but whatever's coming is hopefully will come. But yeah, just overall, I think Alana Kennedy looked really good in midfield. I was very impressed with her. Um, she's been a solid signing and hopefully going forward she can be that midfield um, strength we need. I was impressed with Percival as well. I mean, I've always uh, rave about uh, Ashley Neville. I think she's great. So she was solid on the wing as well. I just thought we were a bit toothless, if I'm honest. Um, we created some things, but we just never really took them. We never really looked that threatening. I mean, sure, as I said, we had chances, but... I don't know. I've just I'm not convinced about starting Ayan for her pace. Don't get me wrong, she does have a lot of pace, but I'd much rather see Rihanna Dean starting, who is our top goal scorer from the last couple of seasons, and she's fantastic and she knows how to find the back of the net. Um as I said, it just feels like we're trying to counteract the other team instead of playing to our strengths. Anyway, I mean, that's just me. I am not a coach. I have full faith in Karen and Juan. They obviously know what they're doing. As a fan, I would just like to see a little bit more eagerness or, 
you know, emphasis on things. But then again, as I said, there's an improvement between this fixture, this fixture's result and last year's fixtures where we didn't lose 3-0. And there's an immediate improvement between the last couple of weeks where we didn't crumble after conceding a goal. That being said, United also didn't really push for it. It was a, it was a pretty quiet game, if I'm honest. Uh, apart from that one goal, I think both teams were just pretty much equaling each other out. No one really gave 100% for it, to it. But alas, it is what it is. So that's that. And then... We're playing against Arsenal next weekend. I mean, honestly, <laughs> like we've not had enough tough games. This season has started with a couple of hard games. So hopefully the girls are up for it. Um, hopefully the rest of the season will then go better. We'll have Morgan as well in and hopefully she can start banging goals and we'll see Rihanna linking up with her. I mean, that's that's my hope. Something like a, a Rihanna and, and an Alex combination similarly to what Harry and Son have got going on right now for the men's team. But who knows? Who knows? Anyway, I think that's that'll do for a good little summary. I hope you enjoy this and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Come on, you Spurs. Hello and welcome back to the final part of the last one on Spurs. I'm very lucky to have Kat and Martin from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust. You know, whenever you ever come on our show, we very rarely get just an hour from them. <laughs> These shows, they always have a run, bless them. They always take the time out to come on and like, give us all their opinions all, I'd say, the latest news on the football club from a Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust perspective, and we're absolutely delighted to have them. Just want to give a quick mention that Spurs have had plans approved to build an amphitheatre at Hotspur Way Training Complex, which will help with the first team and academy bonding. We hope it's going to continue as well. We've also seen Haringey Council will have approved Spurs' planning application to increase the capacity at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to 62,850. That's from 62,303 to an increase of 547 seats. We can't wait to get back in there. Kat and Martin, I'd say they've given you the lowdown in terms of the return to that stadium when we hope to get back in there. Hopefully, it's not too long. But of course, COVID-19, we wait to see what's happening. Permitted if we can get back in that stadium. But let's talk about the transfer window. And I know it's a subject, guys, we don't always get the chance to talk about with you guys because um, we don't always spend a lot of money. We don't always make a lot of signings. But, but, what a summer it's been for Tottenham. Martin, to come round to you, we've had six new players in the side, on a tight budget, and I think it's players that really fix problems across the squad, with most of them actually starting 11 upgrades. What have you made of Daniel Levy's ambition shown in this summer transfer window? I think it looks encouraging, doesn't it? First of all, it looks like the the, the board's back in the manager. Uh, it looks like we've signed players in positions that we need them, uh, and we've signed uh, we've signed good players. So uh, I'm kind of sound a bit hesitant because I, I remember when we bought all those players in after Bale. Then that that was good, and then yeah, you know, magnificent, time, time, magnificent it, you know? seven. Yeah, and and you know, so you know, it looks as if it's good, but the, the the test will come at the end of the season when we'll see how good the signings have been. It certainly looks really encouraging. Um, I think the thing that I found a bit funny about it, I mean, it's obviously a problem for us because, you know, we're obviously, you know, absolutely wearing to go in a shout at the next meeting. Why haven't you consigned anyone you get, you know, uh, and now the, the bastards have gone to sign people as well. So I don't know how we're going to keep some of the critics happy, really. And there was a bit of an element, wasn't there, of like, you know, everyone's going to sign a striker and then we sign one. They're going, not that one. Get, get, get another one in. You, you can now then, Martin, because I haven't got Scrinia over the lines. You can go in there, all guns blazing, and ask them, why after we've signed six players, why have we not got the centre-back? It, 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 it looks good. Um, and, you know, all you can ask is that, is that a board backs a manager. What I think is interesting, and again, I, I'm sort of making a bit of a point here, but I think it's worth it, is just that there's been a... I'm tending to sort of 
put a bit of distance between myself and Twitter these days, but I've noticed a lot of the kind of the massive Levy out kind of like, you know, sort of militancy, if you like. And, and I don't believe that they've always got everything right. And I don't think we as an organization always believe they've got everything right. But, but you know, that we, we've said that we kind of judge them on each thing. But a lot of that Levy out sentiment has now changed to Poch was rubbish. Right. And apparently that's the explanation for why we haven't won any trophies for a long time, because the last manager was rubbish. Now, again, there's a discussion to be had about what happened at the end of that of that managerial era, if you like, and about a relationship with the board and a relationship between him and the, and the players. That's in the past. And what we've got now, it looks like, is, you know, probably one of the strongest squads that we've seen in a long time. Those players, from what we've seen so far, look pretty good. Obviously, we've not seen, you know, Vinicius play yet. Uh, I think a few people had a few doubts about Hoybier until the United game when he looks pretty good. Um, you know, Reguilon looks, you know, he, he got a knock, didn't he? Although it's not supposed to be as, as bad as they thought in the in the game in the international the other day. But he certainly looks like a, a you know, a really, really good signing. So, um, you know, it, it looks like we, we've done we've done some good work. Doherty as well, you know, looks like a decent signing. Doherty. Doherty. Joyce, funny, on, on this Doherty. podcast, we've got to be very careful about our pronunciations of names because I've had, every, I feel like I've had, from the six players we've signed, I've had I've had supporters from every country get in touch saying, you're pronouncing it wrong, you're doing this wrong. So we've got to be very, <laughs> so Regulon, Vinicius, Doherty, Hoybier, we're getting there. Irish, Doherty. Doherty, Irish. there you go. We're going to get there. Cat, one signing, <laughs> I have to ask, you as a fan oh. now, your excitement oh. about Gareth Bale. It's Joe Hart, isn't it? <laughs> it is Joe Hart. It is Joe Hart. Is he going to be the man to change our career at Tottenham? Yes! I use his shampoo all the time, mate. I'll tell you, I'm made up. <laughs> God, the, the Joe Hart signing, it's funny though, how that causes so much um, split opinion when Joe Hart signed. Listen, we, we, we can talk about Joe Hart on another show, I promise you. We've got so much to still cover <laughs> in this last 20-minute segment. Cat, Gareth Bale. The scenes, oh my God. I mean, the scenes yeah. number one of him driving through at Hotspur Way. I'm going to ask you about that when he came through. And then him actually <gasps> signing for the club and how long... Was you guys involved about how long we had to wait for that announcement? Because, you know funny? We actually recorded the podcast that we done a day before, waiting for it to break. Then we had to I wait know. 24 hours to release it. I mean, what was I your know, feelings of it, Kat? We, we, well, we started getting media on it about 48 hours beforehand. And he was like, can you come to the stadium and record a piece at midday tomorrow about Bale signing? I was like, but Bale hasn't signed yet. And I, I, we're not going to do a, a, a piece before he's signed. Do you think we're idiots? Absolutely no way are we doing that. So I messaged um, one of our board directors the next morning, which had been the Friday. And I went, um, it was Donna Cullen, who's our executive director. I said, um, hi, Donna. Um, I'm just wondering if I need to pay extra attention to my hair and makeup today. <laughs> That was basically my way of saying, are you signing him today? Is it over the line today? And she just came back and said, oh, you always pay attention to your hair and makeup. I was like, oh, shut up. That's not the answer that I wanted. Um, so we were basically just stalling media, stalling media. And then it got to the Saturday. I think we were all getting a bit nervous, weren't we? When it got to like Saturday at oh, 6 we o'clock or 5 I mean, that's Spurs fans. Like, Listen, nothing Kat, you know, you can never take anything for granted, right? You can never, ever take anything for granted. Of course you can't. I mean, we we can shoot ourselves in more feet than we were born with. But I was, I was literally like, I was getting a little bit concerned. 
and you don't want to be bugging people because people are busy and they weren't going to tell me anyway. We're, we're just regular fans at the end of the day. Um, so I was actually out on an early birthday lunch, so dinner that day. And, and it was brilliant because I was with other first fans and we were all so emotional. I think we all had a little tear in our eye. And I think um, there's a couple of us who were there who'd lost people from the time that Gareth left before Gareth came back. And I found it quite emotional because it took me back those like seven years and who I've been with at that time and how it affected us as first fans and that whole emotional journey afterwards. And to not have the same people there to experience it with again, I, I, I personally, I found it both amazing, but also a little bit tinted as well. And I, I know other people did also. But that's just the great cycle of it, isn't it? That's what being a football fan's about. But generally, genuinely, tears of joy. I thought it was absolutely amazing. And I cannot wait for him to make his debut. I, I, I literally can't wait. Before I go to Martin on it, Kat, I mean, do you think he'll be as successful as he was in that first spell? What, what do you think we're going to see in his second spell? I don't know. I mean, he's a lot older, isn't he? Mm. Uh, he's he's going to be a different player now. And, and we're a different team. We're a different club. We're a different entity. Yeah. Do I think he can be a success? Yes. I, I don't know if you're comparing apples with pears by trying to compare this bail with that bail. But do I think he's a good signing? And do I think he'll excite the hell out of us? And do I think that he'll terrify defenders and he'll score or set up shitloads of goals? Hell yes. I'm super excited. Just funny, Kat. You know, we have, we have you on, you up, Rick, I don't really want to talk about too much about the football. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> predicting it was about Gareth Bell. I absolutely love it. You can see the excitement. Honestly, I tell you, Kat's face is unbelievable. <laughs> it's brilliant to see it. Martin, we're talking about a player that's won four Champions League, I think 12 to 14 trophies at Madrid. He's coming back to Tottenham. He's talking about, you know, providing his kind of, you know, bringing back a, a winning pedigree. You know, a man that's a serial winner in himself. You look at the trophies he's done. And do you know what I love about Gareth is he, he actually seems like a genuinely nice lad. And I think he's going to come back into a club where um, the, the fans adore him. I think the players will love him. It does seem to me a match made in heaven. I hope you're going to tell me the same. What do you think Martin's going to happen this time around? Can he be as successful as last time? What's your feelings on it as a fan? It's given the club and the fans a boost, hasn't it, really? Which, which you, you know, absolutely you want. I think, I think it's right. I, I think the, the, the one element of doubt is that, it, you know, it's not going to be the same Gareth that, that, that was there before. Uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, better or worse. It's going to, it's going to be a different effect. Uh, you know, one of my favourite moments probably in all my time against these Spurs live was, was the taxi for Michael Knight, you know, when he, when he, when he, he destroyed the then European champions at White Lane and he wasn't bad in the away leg either. Incidentally, when we lost four, three, was he, that was his arrival on the world stage, but that last season that he was with us, I, I don't, somebody said it the other day. I don't think that since then, uh, maybe a few times before then with people like Cantona or whatever, but that there, there hasn't since then been a single player that has epitomized and shaped a, a Premier League season. Uh, as Bale did and again we didn't win anything that year but you know and you've had some great teams over the past few seasons but that was an individual who just absolutely lit up the league that year as well uh, and I think you know the doubts that he had were like you know is it still going to be like that has he still got his mojo for football because he was treated I mean I can't believe I know it's a complex thing over at Real Madrid but he scored one of the greatest goals in, in in a European Cup final ever. And he scored one of the greatest goals in a Copa del Rey final ever yeah. as well. Uh, and he won loads of trophies with him and, and they, they just didn't seem to take him to their heart. And you could see that he'd lost his interest, you know, the kind of, you know, the famous flag, the, you know, Wales, Gulf, yeah. Madrid or whatever. And you just think, as this bloke lost his mojo. So mm. when the rumours started, I thought, 
you know, this could go either way, uh, as well as the kind of he's a little bit older now and it's not going to be quite the same. But I think, and it might be that this is a story that's being spun, but it seems genuine, that, it, that coming back to Spurs has given him his mojo back. And I think if you're a professional player uh, in any sport, you want to be remembered for what you do uh, in your sport. It, you want it's sporting success. And I think that there is a danger that if Bale had stayed at Madrid, his career would have drifted out and it was like, yeah, he was quite good once, wasn't he? But look how it all ended up. And this is his chance, isn't it, as well? So, you know, that's exciting as well. Uh, and, you know, marry that with, with a potential success. But that front three of Son, Bale and Kane, I mean, that, that don't often look tasty, doesn't it, as well? Of course, I've got to say, haven't I? I've got to bring it all down, that people have already been saying, like, what would be one of the most Spurs things, right, is that, you know, we win the league right, with those three up front scoring a hat-trick each every game. But we can't get in the bloody ground and see it. it. No. We've all said that. We've all said that. If we win the I Europa think, League. I think we'd take that. I think we'd take that, wouldn't I, we? I tell you what, Martin, there is no way we're putting a statement out telling people not to go to the stadium. And there's no way we're putting a statement out telling people not to pay for these streams. It's just not happening. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because that, that Spurs West Ham game is going to be a bit of a TV hot property now, isn't it? Yeah. Though it's one of the selected it's games. Side, you're right, yeah. 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 Because that potentially is his debut as well. So uh, <gasps> that would be great. Good times it? ahead, guys. Good times ahead. Honestly, yeah. we, we hope there's good And we might see him play against some quite good teams after that as well. So it's even more exciting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but you know funny? Whenever I suppose we, we get together, guys, like this, we're always in a period where I think Spurs are going through either some form of transition or bad period. Yeah. It's the first time we're speaking where everything relatively seems on the up. And I'm always cautious to say that with Tottenham because you never know what's around the corner. I mean, it does just help with just smashed United 6-1. Of course, that massively helps the situation. Um, but, you know, as you say, there's so much excitement to come, so much things to look forward to. And I suppose the next question I want to kind of ask you guys is in terms of, we know that you meet with the board on, I think... A, Tell me, Kat, is it for every three, four months? Is that, have I got that right, that time frame? Give us that. Yeah, so it's, it's meant to be three three times a year, yeah. really. So um, they won't meet with us during an active transfer window. Mm. So yeah. fair enough. So that rules that down. And then obviously over the summer, then um, Daniel would tend to be away or whatever. So it's difficult to get meetings in over like peak summer times normally. Um, but yes, yeah, so, but yeah. Three times a year. How will that work now, guys? Martin, Kat, tell us, how will that work now because of the COVID restrictions? I mean, obviously, generally, you'd actually go to meet them in person. Um, is there any kind of, at the moment, understanding in place whether it's going to be via Zoom? Or how do you see things working out in terms of that that relationship still carrying on during this period? Uh, well, I, th- I think it Well, I mean, you know, it, it, if the rule of six is still in operation after Boris's announcement tomorrow, then, you know, maybe there'll be six of us meeting. But I don't know. I, I would imagine it will be a Zoom meeting. Uh, and we, we do need to to get that conversation in that a transfer is closed and keep the dialogue going. But I think as well, we, we've probably been, you know, in more regular touch. We're usually in pretty regular touch with, with fairly senior people at the club on a day to day basis anyway. Uh, we've probably been in more regular touch because of all the stuff that's been going on. And they have reached out at times as well as us kind of hassling them. Um, so there's a little bit of a kind of what would we talk about over and above what we're talking about at the moment. But we, we kind of need that that marker, partly in a way just to get questions in from supporters and to kind of put concerns down. And, you know, one of the things we would ask is, you know, does the, does the club now have a strategy, you know, for for, you know, the playing side and whatever that it wants to, elaborate a little bit because again going back to the signing of Bale that, that that's not a signing that 
that you'd have expected us to make a few years ago because we were not really signing people over 25 or 26 it was about resale value and all the rest of it and so there's obviously been a bit of a change and you know do they want to do they want to explain that as well that would be one of the things that we would ask them but that do there you is want them to martin are you quite keen as a, are you quite keen as a, as a are you quite keen as a trust to have that question answered? Is that start quite important to you guys to have that? Only because I asked the question because, again, if you kind of look back, I don't want to go into it too much, that obviously with Pochettino, um, I think it's fairly on, on good grounds that we know he was offered players during that period where he didn't sign anyone for two consecutive windows. It does feel with Mourinho coming in, Daniel Levy wants to back his manager, show he's behind him. I mean, of course, with Tottenham, we know that some of their signings, their branded Enix signings as such, players that can be there for a resale on value in the future... But is it quite critical for you that you kind of get that question answered to know where things are at? A delicate balance act, isn't it? Because that, that it, it's the sort of um, it's the sort of question that that fans want to be asked, and they want they want to get some articulation of strategy from the club. I think that what m- maybe we're more conscious of because we have that, that that conversation regularly, and we kind of work on that level is that what what exactly are they going to say? Right, so some questions might be fairly good, but they're not going to go, you know, actually, Pochettino was a bit of a tosser uh, or this player was a bit shit, actually. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're just not going to say that, are they? So it's like sometimes I know why people want us to ask questions, but it's like I'm not quite sure what answer you're expecting to get here because they are just going to give like the, the, the PR line, which is the professional thing to do. You know, they're not going to slag somebody off who's still trying to make their living uh, in the game. So, but I think it's back to that thing of the balance between, uh, you know, knowing that you're not going to get a huge amount of detail, but wanting to know that they, they've got some kind of strategy that they're sticking to. And the whole thing about, you know, one of the questions is, did they back Pochettino or did they not? Or was it more down to him? Are they going to back Jose? I think probably, you know, we would have to ask it and they would say, we've made these signings in a transfer window. That's the people that the that, that manager wanted. And now, you know, we, we need to go on and win something. I don't know. I mean, what Martin, beyond that? Well, what what they what they would say is that Jay's clear a definite target. Yeah. that's what they would say. Yeah, yeah. So Jay, they made their job a lot easier. Is what your answer will be. So, yeah. uh, Vicky, uh, to, to to get answer uh, your question, this isn't our heartland. It's not what we really do as a trust. But what we do do as a trust is take questions to our members and from the wider fan base. And let's be honest, what matters most to most fans is what goes on on the pitch. What matters most to us is how much they're charging you to get in there. If you've got, if you can get there on public transport, that you're not going to be physically assaulted being checked at the gate, that you know you can buy food and drink at a reasonable price, that your sight line's fine, that your steward have been kept safe in an environment. Most fans don't care about that. They just want to turn up and have a good time, be entertained on the pitch. So who you're signing, who your manager is, all that kind of stuff is so important to them. We can't massively get involved on pitch. But what we can do is ask for clarity, as Martin's alluded to, on policy and approach. And we've got outstanding questions with them when uh, Poch departed and Mourinho was appointed as to what their strategy and approach was. And they have never answered that. So we'd like to close that off in our next meeting with them so the fans also have a clear view as to how they see things progressing so this is all about the ambition of the board but then what we normally do in those board meetings is talk about longer term policy decisions so that might be a pricing structure for the next three years or whatever what's happening right now is everything is so short term and so fluid that it's really tactical or we think we might be getting fans back in and then the government announces that that's all off so everything's all over the place 
So we're in touch with the board and we're in touch with departmental heads, as Martin said, on almost a daily basis anyway, because we're all having to react to a really, really fascinating situation. So um, we will get a board to board meeting in, but it's not probably as necessary as it has been in the past because we are in touch with them and everything's so up in the air. Do you know what I mean? No, that's absolutely fair. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think it's great. I say you make that point there, Kat, that because maybe previously it hasn't been covered off with Pochettino that you want that understanding that direction to where the club I think is fans going. would. No, I think I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think one of the things that Lee McQueen on our show always says is that you want to know what you're planning for. You know, with the, with the new stadium, with the training ground, we actually knew with Pochettino that that period, that four to five years, we were building towards a stadium. We were building towards having the best training ground in the world. We've got that. What's next? And like I say, we know what happened yeah. at the end. Mourinho's now come in. We hope he's going to be the man to get us over that line. What we have seen is in these last two to three months, so there has been a bit of a restructure around the club from a football operations perspective. We saw Trevor Birch step down as Swansea chairman to become Tottenham Hotspur's new director of football operations. Birch's appointment at Spurs has led the North London club to create a new football board led by chairman Daniel Levy. The board also consists of Rebecca Caplehorn, who will take the newly created role of director of football administration and governance, while Steve Hitchin has been promoted to technical performance director. What are your thoughts, Martin, on the restructuring of the board? And will this drastically change how the club operates in the future? I think it does. Uh, I think that you've got to answer this in the context of that over the past few years, the club has become a much, much bigger organisation uh, than, it, than it was before. Uh, and, you know, English football clubs particularly have always kind of pushed out that they're bigger than they really are. Um, but the whole operation at Spurs has got much bigger. It's a bigger business. It's a bigger sporting entity as well. Um, We've said for a while to uh, the the board in terms of the kind of the, the general tactical thing and the, the kind of over the long term policy stuff that Kat was talking about that they need to show that there is a better balance between the business side of Tottenham Hotspur and the football side of Tottenham Hotspur. Now, before I get jumped on, I'm not saying that that what happened one day was that Daniel said, "You know what? The trust have been saying we should reorganise." So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get Trevor Birch right, and I'll get him in, and then what we're going to do is we're going to reorganise the board. But I think that that was in the mix. That was something that wasn't just something that we dreamt up. That was something that people. It's in common sense to us. Something that that fans generally were saying, and I think that that balance between the football and the business side has been at the heart of a lot of the conflict fan base over the last few years, uh, and a lot of the conversation about the club and possibly has been the cause of some of the ups and downs on the, on the playing side of the club as well. So what it looks like is that they've moved towards that, that they've got a kind of a kind of a, a bizide board and they've got a football side board. What we know about Trevor Birch, and again, you know, we've made it our business to, to be involved at national game level. So through our contacts with other fan groups, you know, you mentioned Trevor was, was at Swansea. Swansea was a club owned by its fans for a long time. Swansea wouldn't exist unless the fans had saved it. Now, it's no longer owned by its fans, and that is a story in itself, but Trevor was there during a very difficult period, and he actually is really well regarded by Swansea's fans, by their rank and file, uh, as somebody who, who was a good businessman, but he got the football side, he got what was going on. We also know people that were involved in Portsmouth, and Trevor was involved when Portsmouth went into administration. That, that club nearly disappeared. Uh, and again, it was saved by its fans, and Trevor was pretty influential there uh, in from what we understand, saying, look, we need to be fairly hard-headed about this, but we've also got to remember this is a football club, and football clubs mean things to people as well. Uh, and so it's not just about making a business decision, it's about making a decision for the business that this club is. Now, to me, having somebody like that involved in Tottenham Hotspur is a good thing. Somebody who is, is not a mug, 
as a business person, but who gets the fan side of it as well. Uh, and he is working mainly, as I understand it, on the football side, isn't he, uh, of things. Um, that reorganisation has also hopefully means that people can focus on things a bit more. And I mean, you know, Rebecca Caperhorn, somebody that Cats work with uh, at FA Council level as well, who is again is yeah, as well, but she's a really good operator. But I don't know, you know, so you, you know her quite well, don't you, Kat, in terms of what she does and her approach ish? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I worked with her on FA Council. She's also on the professional game board um, and she's hugely well regarded. Um, and the whole that whole governance side of the game is massively her sweet spot. So yes, I think it's great that she's been promoted. I would say into a role where she can focus more on that. It, it's a real feather in the cap for Tottenham as well to have somebody of Bex's capability doing that. Seriously, it, it's great for Spurs that one of our directors is sat on the professional game board and on the FA Council. It's it and works with UEFA as well. It, it, it's really important. It's really good. Let's discuss the start to our season. Let's also discuss this new handball rule without going into too much depth because we could stay until midnight. Let's start with you, Martin. What have you made to the start of Spurs' seasons and your thoughts on this new handball rule that we've got at the moment? Uh, the Everton game was bloody awful. Um, <laughs> the, uh, some of the European games, that certainly the bits that we could actually see, um, weren't great. Um, and then it seemed to click into gear, didn't it? And, and we've played football that is effective and is good to watch. And I think that that's what we want. So um, it's early days. I mean, the hand, the handball rule, uh, it's again, it's a classic because trying to work out who's responsible for the change uh, has, has been a bit of an issue. But I think that might be something that that, that, that Kat's able to do with a bit more because I know you've had a few kind of conversations. I mean, to, to me... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I landed you in there, but to, to me, the handball. I think if you've kind of watched football or played at any level, the way that the, that the rule is being interpreted at the moment or applied, it is just nonsense. It's not. It's not really football. And I think you know, it's a personal bias here. I, I, I personally, I, I would get rid of VAR completely. Uh, I, I, I just think it's made things a lot worse. But I know that's not necessarily the majority opinion out there. Uh, but I think that you know. Certainly VAR has made the handball thing even worse because not only have you got this very subjective judgment about what's a handball, but we've got like, you know, let's slow it right down and then let's measure whether, it, you know, the, the, the join between like, you know, the, the shoulder and the and the torso, did the ball go like, you know, one millimetre over? It's like, really? That's not football. No. It's like, come on, you know, the, the dire thing, which even under the change to the rule mm. that, they, that the, the Premier League said that they would they would do, uh, after all the outcry, apparently that would still be a handball. And I think most people just go, do me a favour. The worst thing about the dire one was he wasn't even looking at the ball. No, <laughs> he didn't no, know what was going on. So overall... And I, mean, I, 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 but I was going to say, I know that I said that well, we don't really get involved on the field. Um, we were contacted by so many fans who were so frustrated and just really uh, deflated, angry and uh, as about that Newcastle decision. It was rubbish. It, it's not what you all want to be watching. It basically we were robbed of a couple of points that could be really important at the end of the season. And nobody wants a game to be decided like that. And nobody wants to emotionally invest themselves in a game that can be decided like that neither. So um, I did get in touch with our FA council rep and um, asked them to speak with um, Greg Clark and Mark Bullingham, who are the chief exec and the chairman of the FA, to find out who would authorise this and what the hell was going on. And as a result of us being all whingy, uh, we've got Mike Riley, 
uh, of PG Mol uh, presenting to us on Tuesday night on a Zoom meeting on FSA National Council, where I suspect that we'll all be roasting him to find out what the hell is going on. So, yeah, so I've got a hot date with Mike Riley on Tuesday night. Can't wait for that. Can you get the two but points I, back, go, Cat? Can we get the two points back? Or? I, I'm really going to try for you, mate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. And then I get to the don't know who to ask, because what we, we were told like, is it's a FIFA decision, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the IFAB. And the IFAB is FIFA, yeah. the four home associations and the professional game uh, officials board as well. So it's all down to them. And nothing can change unless they do it. And it won't be able to change this season. But then apparently the Premier League can decide that the interpretation of the rule can be slightly changed for when we restart again as well. So as ever, when, you, when you ask anyone in football, mm. are you responsible? They always go, no, it's that lot over there. That's, that, crazy, that's the problem it? that we've, we've got, you know. But I tell you, look, look as long as I, I would be more angry if, if a dodgy handball decision had cost us something in like a major cup final. Yeah. That's what <laughs> well, let's, let's see. It could cost us the league, Martin, the way the, the, <laughs> we look at, who knows, January, February time. Let's see where we're up there. Can I just wonder, before I move it on, how important could that Ndombele turn become for a Spurs against Southampton that led to that revival there? I mean, there's just so much excitement right now, isn't there? I suppose you're feeling that as well, right? Yeah, of course, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I'm probably not alone that the end of last season, so Project Restart, I mm. found it uh, an almost out-of-body experience. It was really surreal. You know, I'm somebody that goes to, you know, 50 games a season. However many we're playing, I'll probably miss five games out of the whole season. And um, I've just been at home watching it on your own. It just it just felt totally surreal, as I said. And the start of this season kind of picked up where that left off. And, and obviously, we didn't have the best of starts, did we? And, and um, I don't have to sport neither so I borrow one of my friends codes and uh, watch it on my laptop so uh, I think the uh, Southampton game was a BT sport game I also sat at my kitchen table having a bit of lunch just watching it as you do <laughs> so let's just see I, 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 the bail signing really helps the transfer window obviously really helps the performances have turned around and really helped I mean the Chelsea penalty shootout was incredible as well wasn't it amazing that was wasn't it fantastic. oh wasn't it amazing just amazing and then like you said the United game just brilliant and now I'm totally buzzing for it. Now, now I feel really engaged again, even though I've not been to a match since yeah. I was in Leipzig in March, which is totally ridiculous. But yes, so whatever is happening, we need more of it, please. Just not at fourteen pounds ninety-five every time we want to watch it. <laughs> Tell me, both of you, though, was there did, what, at what moment of the, of the six during the United game did you shout, "Have that for Pedro Mendes, you mate"? <laughs> Do you know what, I saw United fans though. The funny thing that is, when I even saw United fans moaning about Lamella, I think, my God, we could go back. Gomez, yeah. uh, you said Pedro Mendes, we've been there. My God, how many decisions? I think even penalties at, oh, at, you know, at White Hart Lane that have been given against us in the past. That, yeah. There's so there's been many. A lot of it. I mean, look, to be, I, I didn't like what Lamella did at all. And I know no. there's all the intelligent, whatever, you know, but I, I don't like to see that. So let, let's, let's just get no. that out there. But it's a little bit rich, some of the stuff that we've had up there. See, mine, I didn't yeah. like it. I absolutely fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I think that's what this, you know, this, this whole good guys live from radio and that Amazon doc, that really came to light. Right, we're going to finish on the last two things here. Number one, Jason McGovern, he wanted me to make this point. He ran a poll last week which received over 13,000 votes with 33% wanting a title challenge and a trophy, 50% wanting a top four and a trophy, and just 7% would settle for a return to the top four and 10% of that in mind, set as long as it's a trophy of some form of success. So, guys, question I want to ask you. Let's start with you, Kat. What constitutes success 
for Tottenham Hotspur this season for you as a fan? Well, I, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be really boring, and I've got a little wish list of what would constitute success for me as a fan in general. So you got to bear with me when I do my little list. So number one is getting all our fans back into the stadium before the season's over. Number two is keeping everyone safe. Number three, not being fleeced to watch us on telly. Number four, actually being included and acknowledged as key stakeholders and part of the conversation for the Premier League. Uh, A decent ticket in pricing policy when fans are allowed back in. So they're not paying £65 for a seat. Uh, no price increase on food or drink, because that's something they're trying to push forward. And having all 92 clubs in the football pyramid still intact in May. But as far as Tottenham are concerned, we absolutely have to get back into the top four. That is without a question. We absolutely have to do that. That is a stadium that is built for the Champions League yeah. and for our finances as well. And for us, just for our stature, we need to be in that. We need to be in the Champions League. So top four is a minimum, but we have to get a trophy. I don't give a shit which trophy it is, but we have to get a trophy as well. That The two are non negotiable top four and a trophy any trophy so top four That'll and be. a trophy is a minimum cat yeah yeah minimum yeah okay martin what's your thoughts on that what constitutes success for you for tottenham hotspur this season under jose Mourinho? well i'll, I'll stick to the, the the football side but obviously uh <laughs> agreeing with the with with all the rest of it but look it's that Mourinho was brought in to win trophies if we don't win a trophy it's been a failure uh, and that's the bum i would not normally say that but that's the bar that's been set uh, of course, we need to get back into the top four because, uh, you know, the money and all the rest of it and blah, blah, blah. And we need to be on that stage, um, you know, or, or wherever. But it's it's win a trophy now. That That is the only thing. Uh, he's been brought in as somebody that that's the sell. Mourinho has been brought in to win trophies at Spurs. Right. End of sentence. That's it. That's what constitutes success or failure. So it'll be very clear at the end of the season. Mm, OK, interesting. I mean, I, I agree with you guys, isn't He's in his first, well, his first full season at Tottenham now, and says he's going to complete his first full season. I think, like I say, you look at his record, what he's won, you know, where he's been, he's won. It has to happen at Tottenham, doesn't it? It simply has to happen. We've got a great chance this season. There's so many opportunities. God, it's so exciting. But we're going to finally end this on the point that, Kat, finally, if supporters want to join the trust, and you mentioned this at the very start of the show. Now, Jason McGovern is already a member. I'm becoming a member. Where and how can fans do this? It's really important, let's like, say, we highlight again the importance of becoming a, a member of the Trust. Where can they do that again, Kat? It is so, so you can open your, your browser now, Ricky, and you can type in www.thstofficial.com and you'll see the tabs across the top and you'll see one that says Membership. So you need to navigate your mouse to the tab that says Membership. Click on that and then click on, uh, well, preferably full adult member, which will cost you £10 a year. We'd also have you as an associate. We're not picky. That's a completely free membership. But it then means that you can't stand for election to the board or you can't vote in elections. So you need to be a paying member in order to have those voting rights. And clearly, you don't have enough to do, Ricky. So I'm expecting you to be standing for election to the board in February. We have those elections every... Oh, Jason. Jason can can get involved. He's already a member. He's retired now, Kat. So we'll definitely definitely push him to that. Candidate then I will be banging down your door and you won't be getting that cake. So that's basically how people join us. It's really simple. It's like a couple of clicks and we'd love to have you. Thank you. Bless you. You're fantastic. Guys, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure having you. Listen, we can't wait to actually get back to having to meet you in person because I say the whole virtual thing for us, uh, whilst we love being able to connect like this, it's not the same whilst we do it in person with you guys. Can I just say a massive thank you on behalf of the last one on Spurs? 
for all the wonderful work you guys do. And like I say, um, we will highlight as much as we can. You've got to tell us anything you want us to highlight out there. We will always push that for you. Um, we know Thank exactly you. the amount of work you are doing, like I say, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, you know, to really help fans, not just in the UK, in the country, across the world, being connected more with Tottenham. So on behalf of all of us, just a massive, massive thank you and keep up the wonderful work you guys do. And I think that's got to be highlighted. The the work that Cat and Martin do, I have to put this out there. You know, it's, it's voluntary. It's not paid. It's out of the goodness of their own heart because they love the club. They love helping people. And again, guys, it's a massive, massive thank you on behalf of all of us. Oh, thank you. That's Thanks, so sweet. Mate. Thank you for having us on and giving us the platform. We appreciate it. Thank oh. you. Our pleasure. Well, there you go, guys. The Happy birthday. Thank you. Listen, the wonderful Cat and Martin there from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust. As the guys say, happy birthday. We are coming to you very, very soon with a very special show. I can't quite believe we've got this, man, but you're going to find him out very, very soon. Listen, enjoy the start to your week. The wonderful Cat and Martin from the Tottenham Hotspur Trust. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.